You can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be there later on in the message. So this morning we're talking about how to find hope in the midst of fear and anxiety. Now some of you struggle with anxiety, so you're totally locked in. You're ready for this sermon. Some of you don't struggle with anxiety. That's not really your thing. So you might be tempted to tune out this message. I don't want that to happen, and so I'm going to go ahead and give you a few things to worry about so that you can (laughs) be like the rest of us. I don't know if you noticed in the news, but scientists this week reset the doomsday clock. That's a symbol representing the likelihood of man-made global catastrophes, particularly global thermonuclear war. It's been maintained since 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. The closer the clock gets to midnight, the closer the earth is to doomsday. The closest it's ever been is two minutes till midnight, set once in 1953 when the U.S. and Soviet Union started testing hydrogen bombs and last week. Second, you may have noticed in the news also this week that sometime between February and April, a Chinese space station will re-enter Earth's atmosphere. They lost contact with it in 2016. They have absolutely no control over it. It's 34 feet long, 11 feet in diameter, weighs 19,000 pounds, and no one knows where it will hit. (laughs) Now a little closer to home, your bed to be precise. A typical used mattress, which of course most of us have used mattresses, we didn't just buy a new one yesterday, contains between 100,000 and 10 million dust mites. And worse than that, 10% of the weight of a two-year-old pillow can be chalked up to dust mite carcasses and feces. Finally, the cell phone, which many of you are holding now or were holding a few minutes ago, scientists at the University of Arizona found that cell phones, a typical cell phone, carries 10 times more bacteria than a typical toilet seat, and 16% of all cell phones have human fecal matter on them. So, sleep all tonight. There's a lot to be anxious about in this world. Many of us struggle with worry. It's incredibly common, and so we need to talk about how do you find hope in the midst of that fear and worry that plague all of us, at least from time to time. And like I did last week, I'm going to be personal this week. I'm going to share, with her permission, my wife's story with you this week. Julie has been battling a major anxiety disorder for the last four years. So, yes, I've been struggling with depression for four years. She's been studying with anxiety disorder for four years. So we are a fine pair. We actually joke in our house often about whether my depression caused her anxiety or her anxiety caused my depression. We don't know, but here we are. And while it is often very painful for both of us to be going through our own mental disorders at the same time, it is also a gift because it has given us a priceless empathy for one another. We're able to understand each other and what the other person is going on far better than if we wouldn't each have been going through something like this. And I think that God knew that I needed to be humbled by my own battle with depression so that I would be able to understand what my wife is going through and her battle with anxiety. Because anxiety is not my thing. I've never really struggled with worry. It's fairly easy for me to set aside things that worry me. I mean, I feel nervous before I take a big test or a big bill comes in the mail. But it never lasted long and it never grew into panic. And so in my youth, it was easy for me to look down on people who struggled with worry. Because after all, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? Do not worry. It's as simple as that. If you're struggling with worry, just stop. Don't worry and trust God more. And so I think I approached people who struggle with anxiety similar to Bob Newhart in this sketch from a number of years ago. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, 
I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> what's, what's the problem, Catherine? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't like that? No, I don't. So you think we're, we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me, uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I, I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you, want, you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? All right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box! (laughs) Well, hopefully all of us would be a little bit more gracious than Bob, but we're giving pretty much the same advice when someone says, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety or worry, and we tell them, well, just stop it and trust God more. What I've learned in watching Julie battle anxiety and going through issues of my own is that there are times in life when anxiety is not a choice and stop it is bad advice. That's not how anxiety works. It's not something you can just choose to stop. And in fact, we tend to cause more harm when we do what Bob did there. Anxiety and worry are something that we're all going to struggle with from time to time. And, and actually, some anxiety, some fear in your life is actually good. It's actually how God designed your body to work when it faces a threat. Think about it. You're walking through a dark parking lot alone at night and you feel fear. That fear in that situation is good. Because it's pumping your body with adrenaline and cortisol. It's focusing your senses, tensing your muscles. It's getting you ready to fight or fly. That's good. That, that protects your life. But for most of us, there will be times in our lives where anxiety will go beyond what is beneficial. Most of us have experienced that before. If we face anxiety for prolonged periods or it's related to some nonspecific threat, then it can begin to to consume you. It, It can begin to negatively affect your life. And that's incredibly common. A recent study of college students found that more than 53% of U.S. college students described feeling more than average or tremendous stress within the past 12 months. Well, tremendous stress is not good stress. 
When stress becomes tremendous, then it begins to rob you of sleep. It affects your ability to think and focus. It begins to negatively affect your life. So for most of us, we will have moments in our lives where anxiety goes beyond what is beneficial and it begins to harm us. And if that is left unchecked, then often for many people, that will develop into a full anxiety disorder. And it's important to define what we mean. So an anxiety disorder is not the same thing as anxiety. One can lead to the other, but an anxiety disorder is bigger. Here's how you might define it. An anxiety disorder is a group of mental disorders characterized by significant, prolonged feelings of anxiety and fear. So they last. They don't just go away overnight. And, and there are a lot of different kinds of anxiety disorders. That's a broad term, just not an exhaustive list, but some of the main ones. You've got generalized anxiety disorder, which is the most common one. You've got social anxiety disorder, phobias, that's fears such as agoraphobia, you're afraid to leave your house, separation anxiety, panic disorder, and many others. And, and these anxiety disorders are incredibly common. I was reading a book put out in 2010. It's called the Anxiety Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, which is not really a fun one to walk to the coffee shop with. But it's a good book. It has a lot of useful information in it. They talk about how anxiety disorders are now the number one mental health problem for U.S. women. And for U.S. men, they are second only to drug and alcohol abuse. They're so common, in fact, that when you add it all up, you find that 17% of the U.S. population, that's 50 million people, will suffer from anxiety disorders each year. And when you span that out over a lifetime, it means that one quarter of U.S. adults are going to suffer an anxiety disorder that can be diagnosed during their lifetime. So it's incredibly common, and here's the really significant thing. It's becoming more common. The workbook goes on to say, people living in Western society are currently experiencing more stress than they have at any time in history. And it is this stress that explains the increased incidence of anxiety disorders. So they're common now and becoming more common. Now, there's been this this troubling trend that I've seen, particularly in social media or conservative political outlets, referring to younger generations as snowflakes, as if high schoolers and college students are weak and they're just overly sensitive, and that's both unchristian and wrong. It's just flat out wrong because it's a verifiable truth that the pace of change in our world is accelerating, largely due to the shocking pace of technological progress that we've been living in in the last few decades. The result is that the ground under our collective feet is moving faster than it ever has before, and so younger generations don't have time to process and adapt to that change. So the result is that younger generations are growing up without the cultural stability that we took for granted in our youth. So younger generations aren't weaker than we are. They just live in a world that is more uncertain than the world we inherited. So we're going to see anxiety and anxiety disorders grow with time in our culture. So we need to know, what do you do about it? How are you going to find hope in the midst of this anxiety and worry that absolutely surround us? Well, again, not by telling people to just stop it. That's not helpful at all. Anxiety is complex, just like depression is. And just as we saw last week, you have to treat the whole person. So I'm going to give you multiple steps for treating anxiety in yourself or helping a friend who's going through it. And the list of five steps I'm going to give you this morning is not exhaustive. 
Anxiety is way too big of a topic for me to cover in one sermon. But these five steps were really helpful to Julie. And they've been really helpful to many men and women we've seen go through anxiety and anxiety disorders. Now, hopefully, if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, you know what the first step is. You got to talk about it. You got to talk about your struggles. We saw in the last two weeks that the great heroes of the Bible were not afraid of confessing their struggles with loneliness and depression and, and anxiety to God and to other people. They didn't try to hide them. The great men and women of Scripture, we're talking about Moses, we're talking about David, Solomon, Elijah, Jeremiah, and Jesus himself, they were not ashamed of their emotions. They did not try to, to hide the, the emotional struggles they faced. Instead, they brought them out for all to see. They brought them out into the light because they knew that's how you find healing. That is a really unhelpful thing about modern Western society, particularly about men. We try to hide our emotions as if there's something to be ashamed of. That's unbiblical. That's not at all supportable by Scripture. Jesus was open with his emotions all the time. We should be too. We should be open with one another. So you got to talk openly about what you're going through with God, with others, and with experts. So with God, we see this laid out for us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You notice the connection between humility and dealing with anxiety. So the fool is prideful, and in his pride, he chooses not to talk to God about his need for help. He doesn't want to confess his weakness, so he tries to hide what he's afraid of, and that keeps him in the dark. He's not going to have any healing there. The wise man is, is humble of heart, and so he cries out to God. He pours out his struggles to God openly, frequently, and God is honored by that. God is actually honored when you cry out to him because you are demonstrating humility. He loves to come to your aid. So you cry out to God. You cry out to others. Remember, God did not design you to be an individual living alone. You are a communal creature. It's in your DNA. You were designed to lean on others as they lean on you. And so we need friends and family members here within the body of Christ to, to talk about our struggles with. But sometimes we need even more than that. Sometimes we need to go to experts. We need to go to counselors, to psychologists, to doctors who can help us with what we're wrestling with. Because anxiety disorders are big things and most of us aren't equipped to deal with them. So you need to go to an expert who can help you think it through and process it and treat it. And, and that was a crucial step for my wife. For Julie, as she battled anxiety, which she's always struggled to some extent with it, but she had had a lot of success dealing with it until about four years ago. All of the things that she usually did to treat it, like getting good sleep, eating well, exercising, reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, praying, talking with her Christian friends, all of those things stopped working. And anxiety just kept growing in her life to the point that it, it was starting to consume her. She couldn't get off the couch. She was so overrun by it. And so she said, I got to go talk to a counselor. And that counselor saved her life. Julie went to a Christian counselor here in town expecting the counselor to maybe give her another verse to memorize or some new relaxation technique, something like that. But as Julie's telling her story, five minutes into the story, the counselor stops her and says, you have fallen into a pit from which you cannot get out. You need medication now. That was incredibly helpful. Julie couldn't assess that about herself. You, you hardly ever can assess your own mental state. And even me, here I am a pastor, but I wasn't trained in assessing mental disorders. She needed to go to an expert who was trained to recognize the signs and bring healing. So for you, 
If you have been struggling with anxiety or worry for a long period of time and it's not getting better, please talk to someone. Please talk to a counselor, a doctor, or a psychologist. Don't be ashamed of that. That's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and wisdom to take advantage of the experts that God has put into your life. As you talk to those experts, they'll do many things for you. One of the things that they can help you do is identify the causes behind your anxiety. So just as we saw with depression, it's useful to try to get down to the root of the issue. What is causing this battle with anxiety? And and similar to depression, there's going to probably be multiple interrelated causes. So I can't give all of them to you. It'd be an incredibly long list. I'll give you some of the top ones that you'll see. Most common causes of anxiety and anxiety disorders. The first is genetics. There is actually a genetic component both to depression and anxiety. So if you look at your family, family tree and you have parents or grandparents or relatives who have struggled with anxiety or worry or or an anxiety disorder, the chances are much higher that you will too. Now, why is that? Well, it's because you live in a broken world. It's not your fault. It's not your parents' fault. It's just the fact that in this broken world, our bodies are broken, including our DNA. Your genetics are broken and the result is you inherit a propensity towards certain diseases and struggles. And for some of you, that's going to be anxiety. Okay, so no one's fault. It's just reality in a broken world. Second common cause we see for anxiety disorders is past trauma. Those who were traumatized in childhood are especially vulnerable to anxiety, anxiety disorders, depression, addiction, eating disorders, and suicide. Incredibly common for those who were traumatized as kids. It's also common for adults who are traumatized, whether through war or violence or a health crisis. That can lead to, we actually have a name for it, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We think of that in the grid of like soldiers, but actually it's, it's for anybody who's experienced severe trauma in life. And I, I want to pause for a second and just be really clear about this. If you have experienced significant physical, sexual, or emotional trauma, either as a child or as an adult, please talk with a counselor or a psychologist. Please, God God can heal you, God loves you, but God wants you to talk with someone who can help you process through it. Don't ignore it, don't suppress it. Talk with someone who can help you process it so it has less power over you, okay? So trauma can cause it, past trauma. Third, present danger. This is sometimes a good side of anxiety. Again, you're in a dark parking lot alone at night. That's a threat. That's danger. So anxiety kicks up in your body in response. That's good. The problem is when the threat doesn't go away. So what if the danger lasts long term, like a soldier on the battlefront? That can lead to an anxiety disorder. You know where you see that really commonly here in America? Poverty. Because people who are living in poverty face constant danger, right? They don't have food. They don't have shelter. That's a real threat. The problem is, unlike walking through the dark parking lot, it doesn't end in five minutes. And so poverty and anxiety disorders often go hand in hand, which is part of why the Bible calls us to specially care for the poor, because they face struggles we can't even imagine. Next possible cause of anxiety, fear of the future. This is more generally what people think of with worry. You you are worried about some possible future scenario that might happen. And that worry paralyzes you. That's, That's an unhelpful form of anxiety. Your body doesn't need an adrenaline boost in this moment because it's something in the future that might happen. This kind of worry or anxiety is really harmful to you. 
another possible cause. Prolonged stress. Stress goes hand in hand with both depression and anxiety. If you are under significant stress for a long period of time, it will frequently lead to one of these two or both mental disorders. I have a friend who's a lawyer, and he actually checked himself into the ER one night because he was sure he was having a heart attack. He wasn't. He was actually having a panic attack. Why? Well, you should have seen his caseload. He had an incredible number of cases and an incredible amount of stress because if you know anything about law, like you have to meet the deadlines. There's no mulligans in being a lawyer. Like if you don't meet the deadlines, you lose the case and somebody's life is changed. And so he had all of this stress on top of him and it led to a panic attack. Really common. Final thing, medical issues. We had a really unusual case a number of years ago in the college ministry. We had a young college girl who began to struggle with anxiety. Then it grew into panic. It became an anxiety disorder. And finally, she got to the point that she had a complete break with reality. We had no idea what was going on. Found out many weeks later, it was actually because of a completely unrelated medication that her doctor had put her on. A new medication. What, what happened? Well, your body is incredibly complex. And because of that, something going on in one part of your body can have an effect on another part. So there's all these different causes and many others we could list on the screen. Possible causes that connect that could lead a person to struggle with anxiety. So what was it for Julie? Well, Julie's example is great for us because it's really prototypical. This is commonly how it works out. So for my wife, Julie, um, there's a genetic component. You look at her family tree. It's really clear. Lots of her relatives struggle with anxiety. So we knew that that was part of of her genetics. But again, she was able to to kind of manage it for most of her life really successfully till four years ago. Well, what happened? Well, The last decade's not been easy. We went through three years of infertility. Then Julie just about died when the twins were born. And then when she did make it home, um, one of our twins had colic for four months. If you know anything about colic, your child screams for no reason and with no cure all the time. And so for Julie, she had to take care of that child screaming all the time while still trying to keep another infant alive at the same time. It was so stressful in our home that how it's affected me, I actually have almost no memories of the first six months of my children's lives. No mental picture, nothing. Why? Because my brain totally blocked it out. It was traumatic. Hated it. For Julie, um, the way that it's manifested in her life is something called phantom crying. Just at any given time of day or night, she will hear a child screaming, and the child's not screaming. Keep her up. It'll wake her up. She still sleeps with earplugs today so that she doesn't hear the AC turn on because it'll wake her up in a cold sweat because she's afraid she's hearing a child screaming and has to run to that child's side. So prolonged stress in her life. Um, Third cause, it was right about four years ago that Julie had a series of unfortunate medical events. A number of things went wrong with her body. Started with a root canal. She had a root canal and they missed a root. Um, she's, she's like a really small part of the population that has four roots for her teeth instead of three. So they missed one and it died in there, went necrotic, um, and caused an incredible amount of pain. So they had to go back in eight times. She had eight root canals on that one spot. And that led to all this kind of trauma in her head that brought migraines back. So she started having migraines all the time. And that led to massive chest pain. And so we went to a lot of doctors about the chest, like what's going on? Why is she in all this pain? They thought it might be diet. So we changed her diet. We changed how much she's eating, when she's eating. We elevated the bed up to an angle to try to help. All these different things and nothing worked. She was actually, she got to the point, she was losing so much weight through this. It was like not healthy. When she came to church on Sunday morning, none of you knew this. She was wearing multiple layers of clothing because she was afraid people would be asking her about anorexia. 
she had lost so much weight. So she, she had all these medical issues, and that finally led. We, we actually, ironically, found out later, um, it wasn't food, it was panic. She was having a constant panic attack for months, and that's what caused all the chest pain. We didn't know that at the time, and so it led to a fourth cause, which really common in these situations, you begin to fear the future. She began to fear she's never going to get better. Pain's never going to go away. She's never going to sleep again. She's going to fall apart. She's not going to be able to be a good mom for her kid. Life is over for her. All of those things led her to an anxiety disorder. I think that the key to understand for us is that any person who faced those four causes would fall apart. Julie isn't weak. She's not guilty. She just had a hard deck of cards dealt to her at that time in her life. If that's you... If you're struggling with an anxiety disorder because of these hard causes in your life, you need to know there's not shame in that. You're not weak for that. You're not immature for that. Jesus isn't disappointed with you because of that. Anyone who faces that kind of traumatic experiences in their life is prone to battle anxiety and or depression. Really common. Okay, so... All of these causes were behind Julie's anxiety. It was helpful to identify those and then to begin to treat those. And so now I'm going to talk about some of the positive things that Julie did to find hope in the midst of that battle with anxiety. So step number three, you, you got to begin to fight negative self-talk. Now, self-talk is a kind of funny sounding psychology word. It's actually, it's talking about what words are going through your mind when you don't say them. Okay, the conversation you're having with yourself right now. You're probably thinking something right now. That's your self-talk. When you talk to yourself, that self-talk can either fuel anxiety or diminish it. For a lot of people, their self-talk is negative. And that negative self-talk empowers anxiety in their lives. So this is a person that just the the normal thing they're hearing in their mind is, you know, it's never going to get better. It's hopeless. My life is over. This is all my fault. I'm the worst. I'm worthless. God doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. He isn't listening to me. All of those negative thoughts begin to shape that person's perception of reality. That's it. What you think about today shapes what you think tomorrow. And so by thinking about those negative thoughts, it shapes your view of reality so that you become a more negative person and anxiety is empowered in your life. This is the same thing that people deal with when they dwell on worst case scenarios. So here's a really common one that we can blame on the curse of the internet. When your stomach hurts, what do you do? WebMD.com. And you type in your symptoms, and there's a nice list of all the things that could be wrong. Problem is, number eight is cancer. And so now you're faced with the possibility that you have stomach cancer. So you do the dumbest thing possible. Search Google stomach cancer. And you see the worst images you've ever seen. And you read about how horrible it is to be treated with chemo. And so you start preparing yourself. What will my life be like when they put me on chemo? Because you're certain that's going to happen. That is living in worst case scenarios and that shapes your perception of reality. That negative self-talk leads you down a path where anxiety becomes more powerful in your life. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way, beware of what you dwell on for that you shall surely become. If you dwell on negative worst case scenarios, it's going to make you more negative and anxiety prone. But here's the good news. The reverse is true as well. 
If you focus on positive things, you can shape your mental perception of reality in a positive direction and decrease the power of anxiety in your life. And so this is where Philippians chapter 4 plays in. So we turn there at the beginning. Let's look at Ephesians or Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. One of the more helpful passages in scripture with dealing with anxiety. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, at first, when you read this, this passage may seem unhelpful because of where Paul begins. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, dang. Well, I'm anxious. What do I do about that? Paul gives you two really good techniques for dealing with anxiety when it's there. He wants you to fill your mind with things that take you in a positive direction. And so what are those things in particular? Well, first, truth. That's verse 8. Dwell on those things that are true and honorable and right. Fill your mind with things that are true. And in particular, when you look at kind of what Paul has in mind when you unpack that, what he's talking about are true things about who God is and what God is like and what God has done for you and what God has promised for you. You dwell on these truths about about God and what he'll do for you. You fill your mind with those truths and it helps protect you from anxiety. And so... Very practically speaking, what we're talking about is memorizing scripture. And yes, this is the third week in a row where that was one of my applications. You have to find passages of scripture that talk about the character of God, that he is good and sovereign and loving and he cares about us and he has saved us. And you got to find passages that talk about the promises he's made you, that he'll never abandon you, never forsake you, that he will take care of you and deliver you. And you find these passages and you read them many times and memorize them. You got to let them sink in. And, and just one note, if you're having a hard time finding those passages, talk to a friend. This is where we can encourage one another. Sometimes it's just impossible for us to see the truth. We're so covered in our own despair to reach out to someone else who can share that biblical truth with you. Find that scripture and memorize it. So for me, like I said a couple weeks ago, it's Psalm 23. I say that many times to myself throughout the course of the day. For my wife, it's Isaiah 40 particularly towards the end of the chapter. That has been her go-to passage in life. So just so you know, if you don't have a passage, you can copy this one, Isaiah 40. Do you not know, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous, young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So she reads that and reads that and reads that until she's memorized it. And then once she's memorized it, she begins to quote it to herself every time she feels worry growing. So I've seen my wife laying down on the floor in the bedroom, just laying down with her eyes closed, meditating. The word meditate Sounds really weird to people. It's like all this Eastern baggage. No, no, no. Meditate's a very biblical thing. In biblical meditation, you empty your mind of everything except Scripture. 
So that's what she does. She empties her mind, except for the truths of God. So scripture or, or a worship song, something that focuses you on some characteristic of God. So I'll see her, they're just focusing on her breathing and on this scripture or on some truths about God. And by filling her mind with that truth, it fights the negative thoughts and it helps her shape her perception of reality in a positive direction. Okay, so fill your mind with truth. Second, fill your mind with gratitude. You may not have noticed in verse 6 the most important little prepositional phrase in the verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. If you want to enjoy the peace of God, you must give thanks. Why? Because that's how God designed the universe to work. It's actually how your brain works. It's programmed into your neurons. You give thanks and it gives birth to peace. When you give thanks to God for what God has done for you in the past, as you remember those good things, then it builds within you confidence. God is good. God is present. God is powerful. God does care. And as your confidence in God grows, you get peace. Confidence builds peace. Okay, so by practicing gratitude, by saying thank you to God throughout the day, you are fueling peace in your life and pushing anxiety away. So, you need to practice giving thanks. The challenge is it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not easy. Practicing gratitude is actually a discipline. You have to work at it. Our natural bent as human beings is to complain. You have to fight back against that. So, you have to build a habit of giving thanks. And so, how do you build a habit of giving thanks? Well, for the Israelites in the Old Testament, they did something called building Ebenezer's, which is why we sang that song this morning. I remember being a kid, we used to sing this in the Bible church, had no clue what that was about. Well, an Ebenezer is a stack of stones that in the Old Testament, the Israelites would build as a memorial to God's goodness. And they would actually build them in places where God delivered them. So if God brought them through some dangerous thing, they would come back and and stack stones there because it was a tangible representation of God's goodness. And therefore, every time they passed that Ebenezer, they would be reminded of how good God is. They would give thanks and it would fight off anxiety and fear. So for you, what what is your Ebenezer going to be? You can stack stones. I know people who've done that. Um, There's lots of things that you could do. You could take a picture of something that God has done in your life that represents that and put it on your wall. You could write scripture on the wall. You could keep a gratitude journal where you list it out. That's a mine. Engineer-like list, bulleted list, so I list them out. Some people I know get tattoos, and I always thought that was weird, but now I realize for a lot of people, they are commemorating something good God did, and they want to see it on a regular basis. Whatever it takes in your life, find something, your Ebenezer, something tangible that reminds you of how good and trustworthy God is. Let that reminder bring you to say thanks to God. As a habit of life, you do it over and over again. Okay, so you need to fight negative self-talk by filling your mind with truth and with gratitude. Next step, you got to take care of yourself. So what is the highest ethic in the Christian life? What is the ultimate act of love for Christians? To sacrifice your life for another. To be a martyr. There's just one problem with being a martyr. You're dead. For a lot of us, that's not an option. We have kids to take care of. We have a spouse to take care of. We have aging parents to take care of. God has not given us permission to die yet. We need to stay alive so we can take care of other people. And if you're going to take care of other people, you got to have your strength. You must take care of yourself. You must watch out for yourself. Julie and I, in our household, we call this the put your mask on first principle. 
If you've ever flown on an airplane to do a little safety lecture, put your mask on first. Yeah, you got a kid next to you. Doesn't matter. You put your mask on first so you can take care of them. Otherwise, you die, they die too. You see, you got to take care of yourself. You actually see that. Paul lays that out in Scripture. Philippians 2, 4. I always focus on the second part of the verse. You need to remember the first. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Notice what it assumes. You are looking out proactively for your own interests. you got to do that if you're going to stay alive so you can care for other people. Okay, so it is actually a spiritual imperative to take care of yourself. So I'll give you a few steps. How do you take care of yourself? A few things you can do. First of all, live within your limits. God has designed every human being uniquely. Every human being, therefore, has a unique set of physical, emotional, and relational limits. You need to know your limits and live within them. Okay? Otherwise, you're going to burn out. You got to live within your limits. And when somebody calls you to do something beyond your limits, you have to give yourself the gift of no. If you give yourself the gift of saying no to that, no, that's beyond my limits. I can't do that. I got to take care of myself. That's a spiritual imperative from God. Now, the challenge for us is that we like to compare ourselves to other people. Problem is those other people don't have our limits. So those other people, maybe they have more capacity in some area. I compare myself to that person. I'm not measuring up. Well, guess what? That's false. That's false. If I'm living within my limits, doing all God, all I can for God's kingdom within my limits, then I'm honoring God completely. I am not poor or weak or immature compared to that other person. So I'll give you an example, kind of throw myself under the bus here. As I've learned my own limits as a pastor, you may know this. A lot of pastors go out to lunch after church with people from the congregation. I don't and I won't. The reason is, is because that's not how God made me. When I finish preaching, I need to crawl into a hole and be completely alone. And whatever emotional reserves I have go to my wife and kids, not to you. So I used to really feel guilty about that because I would compare myself to other pastors and wouldn't measure up. And then particularly going through my own battle with depression, God taught me that's ridiculous. I'm not called to be some other pastor. I'm called to be me. And God designed me with my own limits and I need to feel no guilt or shame that I can't live up to somebody else's limits. Okay, so know your limits and live within them. You've got to take care of yourself. That's essential. Stop comparing yourself to other people or trying to please them. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to live out your life within your limits. Okay, so know your limits and live within them. Second, take care of your body. Just as we saw with depression, you have to take care of your body because you are a spirit and a body joined together. What you do with one affects the other. Your body is not an accessory. Your body is you. You have to treat it well. And so that means getting good sleep. It means eating well. It means getting good exercise. It means going to a doctor and getting a physical. I can't tell you how many times I've met with college students struggling with anxiety or depression. And the first thing I tell them to do is go see a doctor and get a physical. If you don't know what's going on with your body, you've not talked to a doctor in years, there could be something going on that's completely outside the realm of anxiety or depression. It's medical. You need to talk to a doctor. And so as you take care of your body, it's going to help. And for Julie, a big one for her has been exercise. My wife is actually in the best shape of her life. But it's not about how she looks anymore. It's about how she thinks. Because what Julie has realized is that for her, exercise is part of her own battle with anxiety. It helps her to think right thoughts. It helps her to see truth as it truly is. And so for her, that's a priority. We, we sacrifice all kinds of things to make sure she can get the exercise she needs to be mentally healthy. And so you've got to take care of your body. 
Third, you need to pursue things that refresh you. Things that breathe life back into your soul, even if it's not scripture or prayer or worship like you feel like it should be. It can be just things of this world that refresh you. So last week I told you, for me, it's little sports cards. That's what does it for me. For Julie, it's not. For Julie, it's roses. She loves growing roses. We have a bed here at Southwood back there with a number of roses she's planted. We have lots of them at home. For her, there's just something spiritual about watching something come up out of the dirt. She just she loves it. It breathes life into her soul. And for her, it's a dog, which we got a dog a couple months ago. And the crazy thing is that I'm not a dog guy. I'm so not a dog guy that I actually told my kids, you will never get a dog. And two months later, we did. So apparently in my house, never equals two months. So we got this little dog named Coco. And I was wrong about a dog for our family. Not for some, but for ours, because that dog is therapeutic for us. There's just something about a dog sleeping in your lap that melts away anxiety. And so I have seen the effect that dog has on Julie, that effect the dog has on me. And what I've realized, a dog, a car, a rose bush, they have no eternal value, and yet they're significant. Because God uses these common, everyday, worldly things to breathe life into our souls. So find the things that breathe life into your soul and enjoy them without shame or guilt. Enjoy them as God's gift to you to help you to be able to find hope in the midst of anxiety or worry. All right, final step, number five, consider medication. Even if you practice all of these other steps, it still may not be enough. You may still need to go on medication just like Julie did and just like I did. When we look at how our bodies work, sometimes even when we do all of those things, it's not enough because the chemicals in our body are out of balance. And and that's what it was for Julie. The chemicals within her body were so out of balance that even eating right, exercising, sleeping, reading scripture, talking to friends, talking to a counselor, all of these things were not enough. So she finally went in to see a doctor. Her doctor was incredibly helpful. He was so honest. He just sat down with her and said, you need to understand, right now your body is in panic mode. Your body thinks someone has strapped you to railroad tracks with an oncoming train. And so there is no amount of exercise or sleep or scripture that's going to fix that. We need to rebalance the chemistry in your body. And, and he helped her to understand there's no, there's no shame or weakness or, or guilt or immaturity in it. It's just like somebody suffering from heart disease. What is a doctor going to tell somebody who's suffering from heart disease? Well, you, you need to exercise. You need to eat. And, oh, by the way, here's medicine. You've you got to take that. We've got to treat your body in every possible way. So it is when you struggle with depression or anxiety. You've got to treat it in every way. And for some people, that's going to mean medication. So for Julie, it was. She, she started taking medication around the same time I started taking medication. And just as it did for me, it saved her. It, it really did. It brought an unbelievable change. It was actually the medicine that finally stopped. What she had was basically a constant cycle of adrenaline shots going off in her body. Cortisol just constantly, constantly, constantly. It finally shut that down and she could sleep. And man, sleep is big time. Really delivered her the ability to finally sleep, the ability to finally rest. So medicine was life-giving. Now, there have been times over these last four years when people have talked to her or to me, and I think out of a desire to help us, maybe they've read something on the internet or they just have kind of a predisposition against psychotropic medications that treat mental disorders, um, encourage us to get off medication. Yeah, you should get, get off. That's not really helpful, honestly. 
whether or not a person should be on medication is between them and their doctor and their counselor. It's complex, it's big, and you need to understand that it is not a sign of weakness or failure to need to be on medication for either a short time or a long time. Now, medication is a gift God has given us in this modern age. In the midst of all the stress we live in, he's given us some incredible medication that can help us to be able to live the healthy lives he's caused us to, or called us to live. So if you have to get on medication, please do not feel ashamed of that or weak about that. Know that your pastor and his wife are both on medications and we feel no shame, no guilt, nor any weakness because of that. That's just part of how God designed us. Final thing that I want to say to you guys is that if you're battling anxiety or worry today, I want you to know that there is hope. There really is hope. Since she has been on that medication and had counseling and all of these positive steps in her life, doing all five of these things, Julia has gotten remarkably better, just like I have. Now, it's not healed. For both of us, we still struggle, for me with depression, for her with anxiety, and that might be for the rest of our lives. I don't know if you know this, Jesus never promised you healing in this life. Healing comes in the next life. That's when we'll no longer fight it. But for now, we do. But even though we still struggle with these things and still have to take medication for these things, still, we have gotten so much better. Life is so much more manageable as we've done these five things. And I promise you, if you are struggling with anxiety or fear or worry, if you will practice these five steps, you can get better too. God can bring you hope and healing beyond anything you ever dreamed of. So I want to pray for you right now. If this is your battle or if you know someone who's in the midst of this battle, I want to pray. That God will be with you, humble you, and help you to use every tool he provides. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who drives away fear. You are a God who wants to give peace and confidence to your people. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you love us and that you support us and strengthen us. We praise you that you don't judge us when we feel afraid. You're not upset with us. You're not disappointed in us. You understand that that's a part of being human in this fallen world. And you have incredible compassion for us. You seek to help us to find hope and peace in the midst of our fears. So Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your incredible compassion and kindness towards us. And we pray for anyone here who is weighed down by fear or anxiety. We pray, Lord, that they would know that they are loved by you, that they have nothing to be ashamed of or, or feel immature because of. That This is just a reality of life in this broken world. We pray that they would know your love, that they would understand that you are for them and with them in the middle of this. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that for all of us, that you would humble us to the point of being willing to, to cry out for help when we need it. At some point in this life, all of us are going to be broken down to the point where we need others. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring us quickly to that point, that you would humble us and help us to make use of the people and tools you've given us in this life. For some of us, that would include medication, Lord. Thank you for the gift of incredible medicines that can do incredible things. Help us not to be ashamed to use those. I pray, Lord, for everyone here that even if worry is only something that they deal with occasionally, that still, that we will learn to develop these habits of speaking truth and gratitude to ourselves. 
that we will battle back against this negative self-talk that is so common for all of us by filling our minds with scripture and by practicing this discipline of giving thanks. We pray, God, that you would help us to live within our limits and to take care of ourselves. Help us to stop comparing ourselves to other people and trying to live up to their limits. I, I pray that you would help us to walk in grace, to give grace to ourselves, and to take care of ourselves as you've called us to. And I pray that the result, Lord, would be that even as a, as a family here, Grace Bible Church, we know you, you've not promised that you're going to protect us from anxiety or depression or loneliness or whatever it might be. We're going to see it here too. We pray, though, Lord, as we wrestle with those struggles, we pray that we would do so with such hope and mutual encouragement that the world around us would see it and be drawn here. We pray, Lord, that the people of this town would see in us people who are weak and broken and yet walking in hope and humility and loving one another. That they would be drawn into this community to find hope and help and healing in the midst of their struggles. And by coming here, they would find Jesus and that he would set them free. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are bigger than our struggles and that you are with us in the midst. Thank you for your goodness and grace. In the name and for your glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Next week, we'll wrap up this series and talk about addiction.